There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Today, Season 3, Episode 6, The Pemmican War. The Fur Trade Rivalry of the Northwest Territories In the early 19th century, the competition over the fur trade had reached violent proportions in what would become the Canadian West. This violence escalated in what came to be known as the Pemmican War, as various groups vied for control of the fur trade and, in extension, the vast land known as the Northwest Territories. This week's book recommendation is The Fur Trade Gamble by Lloyd Keith and John C. Jackson, a broad and very readable examination of the fur trade in the first two decades of the 19th century. As well, a reminder, you can find us on Facebook just by searching Cool Canadian History and, of course, on our website, coolcanadianhistory.com. You can also find yours truly on Twitter, at Doc Boris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. On both our website and our Facebook page, we have donation links. This show relies exclusively on donations from listeners like you. You can donate via PayPal or Patreon, and both are safe and easy ways to donate. Again, those donation links are available on our Facebook page and our website. Thank you for your support. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard some sort of variation on the classic trope that the fur trade made Canada. Well, as a Canadian historian, I'm not comfortable with wide-sweeping statements about how a business created a country. Yet, it has to be understood clearly that the fur trade was one of the crucial processes that certainly helped build this country. From the very first days that Europeans arrived on the shores of what would become North America, it was understood that the furs carried and traded by First Nations were fetching high prices back in Europe. In the Canadian example, it was the furs of the beaver that initially drove the fur trade. Beaver fur became extremely sought after for the making of felt-top hats. These hats became a symbol of the wealthy, the elite, In many ways, the beaver fur hat was much like a modern-day Mercedes-Benz. It was not just a fashion symbol, but also a sign of being part of the upper crust of society. Beaver hats were expensive, and thus beaver fur was highly sought after. 
The lucrative nature of the fur trade meant that even before permanent settlements were established in what became Canada, fur trading was an integral part of the early First Nations European relationship. Generally speaking, in the 17th century, French coureurs de bois, the famous men of the woods, would take off from Montreal to meet with various native tribes who would have hunted, trapped, and prepared the furs for sale. These intrepid European woodsmen would then return to Montreal with vast bundles of furs ready to be shipped overseas to Europe. In this respect, a good relationship with native groups was essential to maintaining access to furs, as very rarely did Europeans themselves do the actual trapping and skinning and preparing. The French were particularly focused on maintaining strong economic partnerships with various First Nation groups, as it not only ensured a steady supply of furs, but also provided important military support during times of war with their arch enemies, the British. It is probably no surprise that the dynastic rivalries that characterized the colonizing of North America carried over into the fur trade. By the end of the 17th century, numerous fur trading companies competed with each other throughout North America. In what would become the country of Canada, various companies and merchants operated throughout what was then called Acadia, New France, and Rupert's Land, now the Maritimes, Quebec, and Ontario, respectively. With such potential for profit, it is probably no surprise that fierce rivalries soon sprung up between all the fur trading companies that were vying for access to the furs. Companies were funded by money from wealthy French, British, Dutch, Russian, and later American businessmen. Any time one fur trading company arrived in a region and established strong relationships with a local First Nations tribe, or if the fur-bearing animals of a region were wiped out, another company would then have to explore further inland to seek new partnerships with access to untapped regions. Through this competitive drive for access to fur-bearing animals, through First Nation relationships, vast tracts of what is now the Canadian West, Manitoba to the Rocky Mountains, were explored and mapped by European traders and adventurers. For the purposes of our story today, though, we are going to focus on the two most significant fur trading companies in Canadian history, the Northwest Company and the Hudson's Bay Company. So firstly, we need to figure out who are the Hudson's Bay Company. In the 17th century, the French basically had a monopoly over the fur trade in what was the French colony of New France, basically modern-day Quebec along the St. Lawrence River. In fact, in order to trade in furs, one had to get an official charter from the French crown, permission from the king. Two French traders heard rumors of a vast, untapped region west of modern-day Lake Superior and north towards the shores of what is now Hudson's Bay. In 1658, these two French traders, Pierre-Esprit Radisson and Médard de Grosselier, sought French financial support to explore this region and establish a post on the shores of Hudson's Bay. This would cut down travel time to Europe, giving a more direct route from the shores of Hudson's Bay as opposed to the current process, which saw furs transported overland to Montreal, then shipped up the St. Lawrence River and out to the sea. The French governor at the time, I won't bore you with his name and my poor pronunciation of it, 
feared that were a fur trading post to be established in this new location, it would hurt the economy of Montreal. And thus, he denied the two traders permission to explore in the area. Radisson and Grosselier went anyways and returned to Montreal with a large stack of rich furs. The governor of Montreal was not at all pleased with the fact that these two men had gone without royal consent, and the two were fined for their illegal trading and their furs confiscated by the authorities, and of course sold at a nice profit. Angry at this treatment by the French, the two men sought financial support elsewhere, and found it in the form of the English prince, Rupert of the Rhine, first cousin to the English king Charles II. It was through Rupert that the two explorers were finally able to receive royal support and financial backing, though now from France's longtime enemy. In 1668, the two explorers established the first fort on the shores of Hudson's Bay, and in 1670, the Hudson's Bay Company was officially given a royal charter to trade in the region, now known as Rupert's Land. Now, you can imagine the French were none too happy about the sudden British claim to a region west and north of New France, and apparently rich with untapped sources of furs. The tense global dynastic struggle for control of the continent was significantly increased because of the establishment of the Hudson's Bay Company in Rupert's Land. Essentially, Rupert's Land was the drainage basin of Hudson's Bay. And the rivalry between the Hudson's Bay Company and the fur traders of Montreal began. Now, who or what was the Northwest Company? You see, the Northwest Company would become the biggest rival to the Hudson's Bay Company and would in fact come out of this Montreal merchant community. Essentially, the Northwest Company began as a loose alliance of various Montreal-based fur traders who sought to break the monopoly of the HBC. In 1784, the company was officially established and by 1787 had merged with a few smaller fur trade companies to truly position itself as a financial and organizational rival to the HBC. At this point, if one looked at a map of Canada, one could trace the movement west of both these companies. As one company established a fort in, say, eastern Saskatchewan, the rival would establish one in central Saskatchewan. This leapfrogging is fascinating in that many of the cities of the Canadian West began as forts in this way, Fort Edmonton, Fort Calgary, Even in British Columbia, Fort Victoria and Fort Langley were established as part of this rivalry. Many more were the basis for other eventual permanent Canadian cities. The Northwest Company, in fact, is perhaps most well-known for backing some of Canada's most famous explorers, who in their efforts to outflank the HBC carved out much of the West, in particular British Columbia. Men like Alexander Mackenzie, David Thompson, and Simon Fraser were all working for the Northwest Company when they explored the regions that now bear their names. With the backing of the company, these Norwesters, as they were called, pushed all the way through the Rocky Mountains and into the interior of British Columbia. So we've established who the two main companies are, and it's time now to get into the details of what became known famously as the Pemmican War. 
Essentially, by the late 1780s, the HBC and the Northwest Company were aggressively competing with one another for control of key trading routes and fur-bearing territories. In fact, by the early 1800s, the HBC stock had dropped dramatically, that is, their financial stock on the world market. And this had happened because it was perceived that the competition with the Northwest Company was crippling it. The tension between the two companies reached an all-time high in the region known as the Selkirk Settlement in the early 19th century. This was a large area that encompassed parts of modern-day southern Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, North and South Dakota, and Minnesota, essentially the entire watershed of the Red River that juts southwards from Lake Winnipeg. The Selkirk Settlement was named after the majority shareholder of the company, Lord Selkirk. Now, the Selkirk Settlement was technically owned by the HBC, even though it was fairly common for the Northwest Company to operate in the region. It is, after all, a very large region, and was almost impossible to police the activity of any rivals. As well, groups of First Nations and Métis, people of mixed French Aboriginal heritage, also lived throughout the area, and were in fact the dominant populations. Now, starting in 1811, the Hudson's Bay Company began to settle European, i.e. white, families in the Red River area around modern-day Winnipeg. By 1814, however, food was becoming extremely scarce in the new settlement, and the governor of the Red River settlement, that is the settlement around modern-day Winnipeg, his name was Miles McDonnell, McDonnell issued what has since become known as the Pemmican Proclamation. Essentially, he outlawed the sale of any foodstuffs to anyone who wasn't part of the Hudson's Bay Company and who didn't live in the actual Red River settlement. Specifically, this referred to the sale or trading of pemmican. This was a dried buffalo meat, fat, and berry mixture. It was a staple for many people in the region, and this proclamation would trigger the Pemmican War. You see, while the HBC could rely on constant source of supplies from Great Britain and their forts along Hudson's Bay, the Norwesters had to rely on foodstuffs from the local Aboriginal and Métis populations. One of the key sources of food for the Northwest Company was pemmican, which local Native and Métis would sell or trade to the Northwest Company. With the Pemmican Proclamation, it was now essentially illegal for the Northwest Company to purchase or trade for pemmican and other foodstuffs. This essentially meant the Northwest Company could not operate in the Red River area. This essentially meant that the HBC had eliminated, or tried to eliminate, their fur trading rival in the Red River area. Tensions reached a boiling point in March 1814 when armed HBC and Red River colonists encountered a team of Nor'westers at a Métis hunting camp. Both groups were there seeking supplies. The Nor'westers, however, were outnumbered and outgunned and were turned away by the larger HBC posse. Later that month, an armed HBC party seized a cache of foodstuffs from a company of Nor'westers. In May, The HBC sent out an armed posse to a Northwest Company fort and seized the entire stockade of pemmican, something like 500 bags, as well as two chests full of weapons. At this point, both the HBC and Northwest Company began a low-intensity, tit-for-tat campaign, each one seizing and raiding each other's stores. 
Though generally non-bloody, both sides would intercept each other's convoys and under the force of arms confiscate food, weapons, and any other supplies. By late 1814, both the HBC and Northwest Company began to send reinforcements into the region. In fact, both companies were able to recruit both active and retired officers from the British Army to lead their growing quote-unquote armies. At this point, it seemed like bloodshed was almost inevitable. One must keep in mind that while the HBC had the advantage in numbers over the NWC, the NWC had an advantage in their Métis allies. The Northwest Company had very strong economic partnerships with the Métis communities of the Red River Settlement, and the Pemmican Proclamation had hit the Métis quite hard. As the Hudson's Bay became more and more aggressive, more and more Métis declared themselves for the Northwest Company. By the spring of 1815, both sides were actively engaged in low-intensity conflict. A tit-for-tat cycle of violence existed. Northwest Company gangs, often made up of Northwest Company employees, Métis and First Nation warriors, would rob, steal, destroy, and even kidnap HBC property and personnel. The Hudson's Bay Company would do the same. What's interesting is that both companies claimed to be acting within legal frameworks, meaning Men were not kidnapped, they were arrested. Foodstuffs were not stolen, they were confiscated. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Incredibly, no one had yet to be hurt in this odd period of brigandage. This would change in the summer of 1815. At this point, Northwest Company gangs began to escalate the violence, kidnapping settlers from the Red River Settlement, burning down homes and plundering goods. Small skirmishes began to break out, often pitting an alliance of Hudson Bay Company men and Red River settlers against Northwest Company men and Métis. By early June, a Northwest Company Métis force had implemented a siege of Fort Douglas. This was the fort that protected the Red River Settlement. It was located on what is now Waterfront Drive in downtown Winnipeg's Fort Douglas Park. Several full-out attacks on Fort Douglas were launched throughout June. Interestingly, famous explorers Simon Fraser and Alexander Mackenzie participated in this siege. They were, in fact, the ones who delivered the terms of surrender to the Hudson's Bay Company governor inside the fort. This governor, Miles McDonnell, saw his situation as hopeless and on the 22nd of June, 1815, turned the fort over to the Northwest Company. It was promptly burnt to the ground, and the remaining settlers were forced to flee. Over the next year, both sides continued to conduct small raids against one another. The Hudson's Bay Company launched an armed schooner onto Lake Winnipeg to deny the Northwest Company use of the lake. The Northwest Company continued to harass Hudson's Bay Company settlers, and both sides continued to attack each other's forts, steal each other's supplies and goods. The climax of this long struggle between the two companies would come in June 1816 at a place called Seven Oaks, or known by the Métis 
as Frog Plain. The site of this battle is actually located in modern-day Winnipeg in the West Kildonan District at the intersection of Main Street and Rupert's Land Boulevard. A Northwest Company detachment of about 65 men, led by a man named Cuthbert Grant, was on its way to a Northwest Company fort to sell goods they had recently stolen back from an HBC party. On their way, they encountered an HBC detachment of about 28 men, led by the new governor of the Red River Settlement, Robert Semple. Semple had replaced McDonnell in November 1815 after McDonnell suffered a nervous breakdown. Though representatives from both parties attempted to talk it out, things got heated quickly and a shot was fired. The HBC claimed it was one of the Northwest Company Métis that fired the shot, though a later royal commission was almost certain that an HBC man fired the first shot. Regardless, what ensued was a slaughter. The Northwest Company outnumbered the Hudson's Bay men 3-1, to one, and the Métis and the Northwest Company party were crack shots. Within 20 minutes, 21 Hudson's Bay Company men, including Governor Semple, lay dead, with only one Norwester killed. The violence at Seven Oaks, or as the HBC called it, the massacre at Seven Oaks, shocked both companies, and word of the battle even got back to high-ranking politicians in the British colonial office in London, England. British politicians began to pressure the shareholders of both companies to come to some sort of truce. But any sort of detente between the two sides would take years. In the meantime, both sides continued to wage low-intensity war against one another, stealing, robbing, and looting goods, arresting and kidnapping company men, blockading key transportation routes, attacking and destroying settlements and forts. Neither side could seem to get an edge over the other. Now, broadly speaking, it seemed like the Northwest Company was winning the war in the Red River area. But economically speaking, the Northwest Company was suffering much more than its rival. Though both companies were experiencing serious negative economic repercussions as a result of years of violent rivalry, the Northwest Company's shareholders were abandoning the company, fearful of its ability to survive in such a volatile and deadly climate. Remember, the HBC had one majority shareholder in Lord Selkirk, and he was stubborn as hell, never budging on his own personal war against the Northwesters. The year 1820 would see a change. Lord Selkirk died, thus removing perhaps the most militant of the HBC senior officers. As well, the British Colonial Office officially ordered the two companies to cease hostilities. Both companies were now faced with a choice. Continue to compete and hurt each other's business and deny the orders of the Colonial Office or find an alternative solution. That alternative solution would be the Great Merger of 1821. The Northwest Company and the HBC would become one company. 97 trading posts belonging to the Northwest Company would now join the 76 belonging to the HBC. The company, this new merged company, after much heated debate, kept the name the Hudson's Bay Company, with its headquarters in Lachine, near Montreal. Most of the Northwest Company men were given similar rank and position within the new HBC hierarchy. The Hudson's Bay Company now had a monopoly on the fur trade in British North America and survives well into the 21st century. 
Thus, the merger of 1821 ended the Pemmican War for good. Though in the 1980s, a mysterious company purchased several Hudson's Bay Company outlets in the Winnipeg area. The name of these new stores was the Northwest Company. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on SoundCloud, and you can find us at our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. And of course, you can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. I want to thank you for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Take care.